0: back out there again and I want you to feel the contrast here's the shift of gears with one word anxiety when was the last time you felt anxiety it's that tension that you feel in your body when there's an uncertainty approaching and you are concerned about what might happen in the future. When was the last time you felt anxiety? For some of you are like, well, it's when Pastor Delvin mentioned the word tithing. Right then, Pastor David, that was, that was the last time, you know, I'm pretty sure right there. Uh, a few of you might be just walking in this building, coming in here. I once had a a guy come to an altar moment. We often call this space the altar, although we don't have an altar there. It's just a space that we've set aside. We turn things into altars, you know, all the time. That's what we've done all through human history, all the way back to Abraham. Took rocks and turned them into an altar. Altars are just things we make and set them aside for God. This space set aside. A guy came up to me at the altar. He said, I'm so surprised. And he kept looking around with darty eyes. What are you surprised about, sir? What's so surprising? I thought I'd be dead by now. Well, I, I'm glad you're not, but why I thought he'd strike me dead before I got down here. He was convinced that because of what he'd done, God was going to knock him dead before he could get to the front. Uh, so maybe just walking into this building it created some anxiety. For you, but if we're honest, all of us have faced a, a ramping up of anxiety in the world that we're living in. Actually, anxiety might be the single most defining word of our era. Ever since planes got turned into bombs and public schools ceased to be safe and sacred places for our children where you could send them without fear. Ever since a single leader could decide that he wants to change where the lines are drawn and doesn't care how many die to do it, and it's putting us on the brink of World War III, if you're not aware, let me just make you aware for a moment, that's where the world stands right now, potentially on the precipice of World War III. Uncertainty. When little things like a not-so-common cold can bring the entire world's economy down to its knees, put everything on unprecedented pause and isolate us from one another like we've never been isolated before. Uncertainty. Every social scientist tells us that anxiety is on the rise to such a degree that it's becoming a crippling epidemic for you if they're right, one out of three of you are dealing not just with minor anxiety, but anxiety that peaks often enough that it is a regularly difficult thing for you to manage, so much so you're having a hard time coping with overwhelm. Anxiety. The next few weeks, we're going to be going through a series called In the Chaos. And the reason we're going through that series is nine months ago, your pastoral team, we pulled apart for a prayer treat, set ourselves aside for several days to pray about what the pastoral concerns we had that God put on our hearts for you were and how we could preach toward them. And we designed this series for you to deal with anxiety, depression, fear. How do you deal with the chaotic world in which we're constantly living? Just scroll through the news and your anxiety rises. Let alone the new anxieties we're creating. You know, eight years ago, nobody knew what FOMO was. Half of you still don't know, apparently. FOMO, fear of missing out. And since social media has taken over our lives, people are actually fearful about missing out on things they never would have known about before. We're creating new types of anxiety, and we're excited about it while we do it. How do you center yourself and find calm in the middle of chaos? Or do you? There's a beloved passage of scripture that has been turned to more often than any other passage of scripture in times of chaos, distress, suffering, death, and grief. If you go to a funeral, it's the most often used passage of scripture, Psalm 23. If you have a physical Bible with you, I encourage you to bring those to church. Flip it open right to the middle. The book of Psalms is right after Proverbs, right, or right before Proverbs, right after Job. Right there in the middle. A psalm is a spiritual poem. Sometimes they were sung, often they were chanted. For most of the history of Judaism and Christianity, people didn't actually have a book in their home called the Bible. They heard it and worshiped through it in public together. Someone held the communal copy, read it, and then you memorized it as you sang it and chanted it and recited it. This was one of those all the way through Judaism, through Christianity that was recited over and over again, Psalm 23. You know this Psalm, don't you? Even just By number, many of you know it. I want to read it to you from a version that I'm more familiar with. It's it's close to the version. I memorized it from when I was early on in my faith development. Let me just read it to you so you have it back in your mind. Psalm 23.1, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't it beautiful just to hear it read? It calms and centers you just hearing it. I want to encourage you over the next few weeks of this series, would you open your Bible often to this passage? Meditate on it. Soak in it. Reflect on it. And let me give you another challenge further. Would you work on memorizing it? Put it on the lock screen of your phone Set it out in front of you. Print something and put it somewhere. In the middle of your chaotic world, you ought to have a reminder that is more common than a book sitting on a shelf that you read every now and then. Drag it into your everyday life and watch what begins to happen for you. Today, we're going to focus primarily on this first verse. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. And I have to be honest with you, I thought I would really land in a section of scripture farther on, and I got stuck for quite some time, a number of hours in just the first three words, and it might sound strange, but I was overcome by just meditating on the Lord is. I somehow i surprisingly got stuck there the lord just is and already it was ministering to me i didn't even get to the most famous part of the psalm i just got stuck on the lord is I don't know if you know this, but in many of your translations, Lord is in all capital letters, all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see that in the Old Testament, it's a reference to what scholars call the tetragrammaton, which just means a four-letter word, but it's a nice four-letter word. It's, It's the name of God. But it was revered and kept so holy that nobody wanted to pronounce it the way it would be rightly pronounced and if it was ever written you wouldn't ever erase it and there were all kinds of references to it that they used that were code language because they didn't want to use the name of God in vain on accident. So often, with Yahweh, instead of YHWH, that's kind of the English version of those four letters, he would add in different vowels than would normally go to it. And that's where we get, instead of Yahweh, Yahweh, or as you might have pronounced it in English, Jehovah, which isn't actually the name of God. It's a reference to the name of God without actually saying the name of God so that you don't mess with the holy. So, when you say Jehovah, it's kind of like us saying Gosh instead of God because you don't want to get anywhere close to messing with the name of God. And can I just tell you, I have a little concern about Christians when I hear them using names of God too lightly and too freely, and they say, Oh my God, and they weren't praying, or Jesus. And there's no prayer. Uh, Oh Jesus, all of a sudden when they're surprised. Can I just ask you, please be careful with the name of God. And don't blame it on culture or some other thing. No, 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 culture can be critiqued by the cross. Any culture can. No, you take care of the name of God. Don't treat it lightly. And so far we haven't even yet talked about what it means. The word Lord is actually from the Hebrew verb to be. When Moses is first charged with delivering God's people out of Egypt, out of slavery, he says, look, that's a land of many gods, and they have lots of names. What am I supposed to tell them? I'm going to go tell that Pharaoh who believes he's God that they need to be let go to go worship a different God. What name should I give them? Who should I tell him is sending me? And God gives himself his name. He says to Moses, Tell them, I am that I am sent you. It's, it's just the verb to be. Uh, you know, when you give people nicknames, uh, you know, I don't know if you're it, at all involved, all of you in sporting culture, but when you're in sort of sporting culture, you give people nicknames for all kinds of reasons. You give them nicknames, but often it's because of something that sets them apart. It's the unique thing they bring to the team. I don't bring much to a team, usually, when I'm on a sporting environment. I remember back when I was first pastoring, and we were playing softball. I used to have a better swing than I did, but they got me on a softball teams, and we had three levels, A, B, and C. And I thought I was going to end up playing on the C bucket, you know, because I, they, we had some pretty competitive guys in our church. No, this church right here, we have, we have some D1 athletes among us. We have some uh, professional athletes sitting among us. We, we have some high-level athletes, you know, it's kind of that sort of thing. So I thought I'd be in the bottom of the bucket, but they recruited me, not because of my bat. I mean, I could put my bat on a, on a softball, but uh, not the power they had. They, I was willing to get down in the crouch and be a catcher for a long time. And, uh, you know, <laughs> this is a bunch of old men still playing ball, you know. The, not, not all of them are willing to get down in that crouch. And I had some speed. Give me on base. I'm probably going to find a way to make it home somewhere or another. So when I'd get on base with just a little dinky hit and run like mad, you know, make contact, run like mad. I was the leadoff batter. I'd run like mad, get on base. Then we do something happened. If I stole second base, they'd go, way to go. And they'd name my nickname. If the next guy hit, a single and I stolen second and I made it all the way from second to home when they were giving me high fives That's why we call you and they give me the fist bump and use my nickname. They called me wheels Because <laughs> really the main thing I offered is I was willing to suffer down in the crouch and number two I could run like crazy even when I had done nothing else good. So way to go wheels. That's why we got you, wheels, right? What's that nickname come from the only thing that sets me apart? Or was it my glove? wasn't my bat, it was my feet. So God, when he names himself to us, is naming for us the thing that ultimately sets him apart. Above all and every other thing, this is the thing that sets him apart. Here's what's amazing. He's saying, I'm the best at existing that ever existed. I'm the best being that ever was. I'm the one that be all the time. I am the I am. I was, I am, I will be, I never will not be. There's never going to be an end to my existence. Being is what I do. Everything that is, is because I is. I is. I is, I was, I will is. I'm going to is forever. There's no end of my isness. Come on and call me Izzy if you want because I'm the great is that ever was. That's what it means to say Lord. <laughs> now, that's not even the main part of the sermon, but that's where I wanted to spend five sermons because I'm not even done with it. Here's what that means to me in context of anxiety and chaos. Listen, God, the, the, the Lord, first of all, I should put this up there, put this up there for me. The Lord equals I am. Put that other thing up there for me if I didn't say it already. And then this thing. God was, God is God will be what God has always been. Would you focus on that for a second? Just look at it. God was, God is, God will be what God has always been. There will never be a time when God ceases to be what God has always been. We're talking about uncertainty that creates anxiety. Uncertainty creates anxiety like moisture creates mold. It's the environment in which it multiplies. Now, let me tell you what's really ultimately true. There is only one point of absolute certainty on which you can base yourself because there is only one thing that always was always is and always will be that's God himself and until you base your certainty not on circumstances but on the everlasting existence of the unchanging God you will always face anxiety but here's what troubles me in the middle of the week when I wrestled with this and I thought about the immensity and the majesty of God I actually fell on my face in fear I was literally on my carpet in the bedroom the God who from the singularity of purity and power thought and a word came out and the breath of his mind created a universe That God who in singularity of pinpoint light, absolute, infinitesimal collection of all that ever could possibly be, ruptured forth all that is, who is able to, with a word, cause all things that exist to cease to exist, that God whose mind birthed all the laws by which everything lives and exists, whose laws therefore are what I am held against, that God whom I have violated. causes me fear. Does he you? He doesn't have to snap his fingers. He just has to stop looking our way and we're done. Ha. Now that doesn't solve anxiety, does it? <laughs> so what am I supposed to do with that? There's another revelation that comes to Moses, a beautiful passage. Exodus 34, 6 says this, and he passed in front of Moses. He really just gives him the tail end of his glory. Go read the passage. And he proclaims, the Lord, or the I am, the I am, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding love and faithfulness. This is the most quoted statement about God of all the Old Testament. If you want to know who God is from the Old Testament, that's it. The God who was and always will be is the God who's always compassionate, gracious, slow to, slow to anger, patient, abounding in love. That's who he is. And that's why David is able to say, the Lord, the I am, is my shepherd. Shepherd. David, uh, who grew up a shepherd boy, who stamped his identity shepherding, knows what a shepherd is. So at one of the same time, when he says the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying something about who God is and who he is to God. Do you mind if I start with God first? Are you okay if I start with God first? Yeah, okay, all right, a couple smiles and a few nods. I'll deal with that, that's good enough for me. This is, uh, this is what David is saying about the shepherd of God, the shepherdness of God. He knows what a shepherd is. Here's four duties of a shepherd. I'll go through them ra- rather quickly. A shepherd in the ancient world, and a shepherd really in any world, guides sheep from one place to another. That's the first thing a shepherd does. Shepherds guide sheep from one place to the next. He guides. Second, shepherds guard sheep from predators and from harm. That's what they do. When David built a fire in the night in the middle of the wilderness, he was on watch. He was looking for the glint in the eyes of the predator at the perimeter of that fire's light. When he went to sleep at night, he slept lightly. It was his job to jump awake at full alert at the snap of a twig. When a predator made its mistake, he was supposed to be Ready. He killed apex predators, a bear and a lion when they tried to threaten his sheep. David knew that shepherds guide and shepherds guard. It's part of what makes them shepherds or they're not worthy to be called shepherds at all. Third, They guide, they guard, shepherds gather sheep from wandering. Sheep are actually physically built to wander. They're not balanced quite right. If you watch them walk, they walk all sorts of awkward, and they kind of do this sort of thing as they go along and gradually go off course. If you don't bring them back in to gather them, little stumpy over there is going to wander all the way away. The shepherds guide, the shepherds guard, shepherd, shepherds gather, the shepherds give sheep all they need to thrive. We'll leave that up there just for a second for you to gather it all. David is saying this is what God is to him. God is the shepherd to me. He's the one who guides me. I'm not without direction. He's the one who guards me. I'm not without protection. He's the one who gathers me when I wander off. I'm not without some sort of safety net dragging me back in from my own wandering heart. He's the one who gives me everything I need. I'm not without provision. When he says that about God, the God who is, the God who was, the God who will always be and never changes, he's saying, that's what God always is to me. Is he that to you? Well, if that's who God is, if he's a shepherd, then he's also saying something about us. Because if he's my shepherd, if David's saying he is my shepherd, he's saying that David is a... Can you say I'm a sheep? Can you bat? Just kidding, you don't have to. You can if you want to. Just have a little fun in church. Look at the person and say, bat, right next to you. it's fine. I'm a sheep. That's not a very complimentary thing to say about yourself, is it? Have you watched sheep lately? Go look up funny videos of sheep this afternoon it's before you take your Sunday afternoon nap. Watch them jumping out of one danger to the next, running their full headlong into something, bobbling all over the place, falling over. Somebody has to roll them back up. It's not a very complimentary thing to say, I'm a sheep. But the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is pretty beautiful. If God is your shepherd, then these things will also be true of you. Number one, you learn the shepherd's voice. Now, really, I'm giving you the same four points just from the other side. This is about God's guidance. He's the shepherd who guides. If he's the shepherd who guides, you have to learn his voice. Now, it doesn't always come in some sort of out loud sort of way. David. Yes? Dave. That doesn't always happen. Actually, it's never happened for me at one time. I think I might think something strange about myself if it did, you know, or I'm in deep trouble now. You know, it's like when my mom used to use the whole, like the whole name, you know, David Bruce Ward, you get in here right now. That's what it would probably feel like. Like God's actually talking out loud. Oh, no. It's usually because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Good Shepherd, Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd, the Spirit of that Good Shepherd comes and lives within us when we give our lives to Christ. Therefore, the voice of God doesn't come from the outside, the voice of God comes from the inside. And the crazy and difficult thing is it's mixed in together with all our thoughts and all of our feelings and emotions. And so one moment I'm thinking this and the next moment God's thoughts are coming into me and I'm having to pay attention like, wait, that doesn't sound like me. I would never say that. Never think that. I don't like that. I'm not sure I want that. And then I have a decision to make, which is number two, trust the shepherd's direction. You learn the shepherd's voice, but then you have to trust the shepherd's direction. Because one, he, start, he starts to speak. Two, you have to listen and follow. And Jesus said, the sheep know my voice and they follow me to you. I was... A few years back, helping launch a seminary in a different denomination. I'll be leaving this week to go to Manila for our denomination seminary, Every Nation Seminary. A few of us are going there as well. Some of your ministers are getting their master's there. Excited about that. We'll have 100 different pastors in seminary from 35 different nations studying together this week in the Philippines, which is a wonderful thing to be a part of. But when I was writing this course for another denomination, Wesley Seminary up in Indiana, I wrote uh, spiritual formation courses for pastors. One of the requirements I put in there was they had to turn in a prayer journal just for me to read. So I had a group of pastors, and they would write there what they said to God and what they thought God said back, and they turned it into me, and it was kept absolutely private, deleted once I'd read it. It was just a four credit, no credit grade. You didn't get graded on how well you prayed. It was just, did you, you know? Did you or did you not? And then I'd only use that for your good. No matter what you said in there, I wouldn't share it with anybody else. Pastoral privilege of confidentiality. Two marriages were saved. One pastor regularly tells me if it wasn't for that course, he probably wouldn't be alive. These are pastors. But what I noticed was in the first half of the course, it was the most procrastinated assignment. I gathered them in a room and said, why do you guys keep putting this off? Let's be honest. It's just us. It's a safe room. I'm not judging you here. This is the one thing you put off the most, praying. What's happening? The discussion came to an almost unanimous conclusion. We're afraid of what God might say if we listen. (laughs) which revealed the real problem for sheep always because pastors are shepherds. That's what pastored means. But we also have a shepherd. We're just sheep. You follow? I'm just a human being. I'm no different than you. But all sheep have a fear within them. Uh, What if he says something I didn't want to hear? What if he takes me somewhere I didn't want to go? Is everything going to be okay? What if he asks me for something I don't want to give? In other words, I'm not yet trusting that he is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Something in me has not yet fully believed that greatest truth. Do you? Number one, learn the shepherd's voice. Number two, trust the shepherd's direction. He's actually guarding you. He's not trying to destroy you. Number three, receive the shepherd's correction. When he's gathering us from all the different ways and places that we wander, we need correction. And actually, sometimes for us, in this context, it comes through the other sheep that we have to actually receive correction from people who know us and love us and want to speak into our life. I was praying on the phone this morning with Pastor James and just I, we just enjoy each other so often. And so very often, my dear friend, he's on, on his annual leave right now and he's actually at another one of our sister churches enjoying uh, Pastor Tim Johnson, if you remember him, his ministries in that, that church this morning. But we were praying together and sharing together twice this morning. We talked and we commiserated. And it seems like nearly every time he knows knows what's missing in Dave's heart and puts it back in there through the power of his prayer and his love for me as a friend. And sometimes it is a correction and a redirection and sometimes it's a beautiful thing he receives from me, correction and redirection. We're just sheep who need shepherding. Isn't it that way for you? Number 4. Enjoy the shepherd's provision. That's guide, guard, gather, and give from our side of the equation. Here's perhaps the most challenging thing of this reflection for me that I had over the last few weeks. This is what I realized. The degree to which I lack contentment in what I already have is the degree to which I lack trust in my shepherd. Contentment means to be satisfied with what we already have, if you're not familiar with that word. The degree to which I lack contentment in what I already have is the degree to which I lack trust in my shepherd, that he is good, that he is kind, that he will guard, that he will guide, that he will give, that the last part of this first verse is true. I shall not Now I may have a wish list, but I won't go wanting. I may have desires, but my needs will be met. And if not in this life, ultimately in spades in the next, in a life that will last forever, surely in goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in his house forever. Whatever I may want here that I don't have is in spades there, and it doesn't rust, it doesn't get stolen, it doesn't get destroyed. It's not outdated by two. 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, and I got to buy the new heaven because the old heaven's out of date. Oh, we stopped supporting 2.0 heaven. We're on to 3.0 heaven. You got to, No, <laughs> it will last forever and ever and satisfy more deeply than anything I ever wished for on this planet could ever satisfy. But within me is the sheep's wandering, and I want to go looking for wishes that will finally satisfy that ache that is meant to point me towards an eternal God in an eternal glory without sin, without suffering, without loss, without sorrow, without grief. The degree to which I lack contentment with what I already have is the degree to which I lack trust in my Savior. Let me put it another way, in chaos... It's not the strength of your faith, but the direction of your faith that saves you. Where are you pointing your trust? Let me maybe just ask it a different way. Who is your shepherd? Would you just put that next slide all up at once? the whole build of it, just to get right to the point. I want you to ponder these questions. Four questions for you to ponder, all at one moment. Take a picture of those, take them home, process them, pray over them, talk about them at your family table, take them to your life group, discuss them. Whose voice dominates your thoughts? Whose directions do you trust most? What determines the company you keep? That's guide, guard, gather, gather. How satisfied are you with what you have? Why are we doing a 90-day tithing journey? Because if you're not tithing, it's a sign of where your faith is directed. It's a symptom of a misdirected heart. If Hive, that word, causes you anxiety, it's because your certainty isn't rooted in the I am. It's rooted in the I have. And then you will never have enough. If you didn't have a chance to fill out that little card, I just want to say, please do take the journey. We'll encourage you along the way. We'll pray for you. We'll help you through. It's God's not after your money. He's after your heart. Remember, he doesn't need your money. He's not poor. <laughs> He's not a destitute God. Come on. <laughs> Streets are made of gold. Gates are made of pearls. In other words, uh, gold is like dirt. In heaven. He's not poor. What he doesn't have is what your money has, your heart. But once we finally redirect all of that and say, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, we can say along with Paul, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance whether in plenty or in need, in suffering or in in, in, in hardship, in famine or in sword, whether I'm in prison or I am free. I have learned the, the secret of contentment in the midst of all kinds of chaos. No chaos can shake me. If he really is my shepherd, then others are going to come up to me in my life and say, why are you so calm in the middle of this storm? Why are you so centered in the middle of this chaos? Why do you seem to have it all together when everything else is falling apart? Who's leading you? And then I can say, Jesus, the great I am, who always was and always will be, who never will change, who after this storm is over will still be walking on waters in every life you'll ever Encounter. He is my center in the chaos. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask the worship team uh, to come back. I think we have them somewhere nearby. Yes, wonderful. Uh, we're not going to stay to sing. I want us to leave as we sing. Worship team, you're also welcome to c- uh, ministry team. Please also come. If you have prayer needs today, perhaps you have physical and financial needs, material needs that are real. We're not dismissing those, and you want someone to pray with you. F- issues of health perhaps the your soul is not directed the shepherd's direction maybe you need a shepherd i don't know whatever your prayer needs are invite you to take some time and pray with someone today but i wanted us to walk out with this beautiful song they sang right before i got up to preach so i'm going to pray if you want to stay you're welcome to but after i'm done praying we're dismissed can i just give you that warning we're done we're officially done And if you want to stay and worship, you're welcome to stay and worship as we sing this song together in response. Lord, Augustine was right. Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. We'll never be satisfied. We could get everything we want on our birthday list or our Christmas list, and we'd have another list to build within a month. Uh, We could get the salary raise we wish we already had, and it wouldn't be enough two months from now. We could have what that neighbor has that we look at and say, boy, it must be nice. But if we had what they had, we'd be experiencing what they experience. And what they have is emptiness on the inside. They hide with all kinds of externals on the outside. And no matter what we do to change our circumstances, our anxiety won't disappear because the uncertainty of the future remains unless you're the shepherd who goes before, unless you're the shepherd who guides, unless you're the shepherd who guards, unless you're the shepherd who gathers, unless you're the shepherd who gives, and you are that forever, and you're not just somebody else's shepherd, you're my shepherd. Anxiety will always raise. Oh Lord, I pray for each and every heart and soul in this room that we would settle the issue of who our shepherd is before we walk out. Would you do that for us today? In Jesus' name, we pray.